Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker betting show sponsored by 888 Sport. I'm your host, George Ellick, and this is a preview of Saturday's racing at Cheltenham. It's Cheltenham Festival Trials Day. On today's show, find out which horse Andy Holding thinks running on Saturday is value for the Triumph. He's, uh, he's a pretty good horse, and, and the time figure very much points in his direction. So I'm um, I'm all over him as well, particularly at the prices with the dead out runner race. Let's just have all out runners go to, go to post. Here, which Ben Pauling horse Ed Quigley is keen on with a seal of approval from Andy Holding. There is a chance you could probably get double figures about him here. Uh, and if you do, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely getting involved. Which double-figure price horse Andy thinks should be near enough favourite? We just don't really know how good he can be. And we hear from 888 Sport Ambassador Barry Geraghty as he looks back on last weekend's incredible Clarence House. And it's rare that these matchups, you know, work out to the billing. Before we dive into the action, I want to let you know of a brand new podcast and YouTube show from Oddschecker called Racing Weekly. Racing Weekly is hosted by Rishi Passad and five-time tipster of the year Sam Turner as they take a 360-degree view of the sport we all love. Each week, the guys will be reviewing the weekend's racing just gone, looking forward to the week ahead and tackling the biggest stories in the sport in the build-up to Cheltenham Festival. From the start of Tommy's life, it's never been straightforward. I think he's always been a rascal. How are the owners? How how, how are uh, everyone associated with, um, with dear old master Tommy Tucker? Scott is absolutely gutted. Um, Tony and Louise are too, obviously. Episode one of Racing Weekly is out now. And episode two will be out on Monday on YouTube or wherever you download your podcasts. Delighted as ever to be joined by Odds Checker's very own Andy Holding and Ed Quigley as well. Before we look ahead to Saturday's racing at Cheltenham, Andy, got to look back at, at last weekend's racing as well. I, I spoke in, in depth yesterday with Barry Geraghty uh, 888 Sport Ambassador Barry Geraghty about both the um, the run of John Bond and what that means for the Supreme and also what the champion chase picture looks like after that incredible Clarence House last weekend as well. So we won't go into too much detail because that's coming up shortly. But I think the eye test probably told us everything we needed to know about John Bond's performance in beating Mai Tai. Drifted to third favourite now in the Supreme market. Uh, anything to worry about for Dysart Dynamo and Constitution Hill backers? Um, well, put it this way, I, I actually thought his victory there, albeit in workmanlike fashion, was a good deal better than his previous other two runs because the other two runs didn't really tell us anything other than he could sprint at the end of a race um, because there just there wasn't any gallop involved. But on Saturday at Haydock, they went a good gallop. We, we thought there'd be a lot of pace on and it, it really did play into his hands. I, I think the problem was with where he was in the market. I think he was always the wrong price based on what he'd done compared to the others. The reaction of them putting him out, pushing him out in price, was probably only really to fall in line with what he should have been in the first place. I actually think he actually, um, conversely, um, enhanced his actual reputation by winning the way he did at Haydock on a track that was a bit too tight for him, ground that was probably a little bit more test than he would have been desired as well. So I think he comes out of that race with a glowing reference, really, rather than any negativity um, from my point of view. That said, I don't think he's quite as good as the other two. I still maintain that Constitution Hill and Dysart Diamond are the two to concentrate on with regards to the Supreme. But from being a horse I didn't really regard as being in the same ballpark as the other two up till now, he certainly closed the gap off the back of that run at Haydock. Interesting. Uh, Ed, uh, the Clarence House was some spectacle, really lived up to its billing with Shishkin just about uh, chasing down an argument uh, as the two pulled clear. What did you make of that? And, and, and is there any thing in that performance that suggests to you that the form uh, could be overturned in a couple well in in six or seven weeks yeah it was an absolute thriller wasn't it george uh everyone's got their own views on it but um i mean i had no financial interest in it it'd probably be the most exciting races i've ever seen just purely two top class two milers going hammer and tongs i thought it was absolutely thrilling loved it to bits um as for the future yeah interesting one i mean the general consensus is Shishkin will probably do it by further, uh, back left-handed at Cheltenham. The the kind of the spanner in the works or the, you know, to play devil's advocate would be that, you know, that it's been well documented that the Chapman Chase is furlong shorter there or thereabouts. Game that puts a bit more of an emphasis on speed into the contest, whereas Shishkin 
to me, on soft ground two miles wide. It's just like his stamina uh, got him home. You know, in an ideal world, I actually think like the Ryanair chase is the race for Shishkin. I think he would give Alaho a, a re- something to really think about over that trip. But he's unfashionable. He's going to stick to two. I think going further forward, Shishkin will get three miles on his head next season, no doubt about it. But as for now, I, I think, yeah, it's more, more likely that uh, Shishkin wins and wins again by further. My only proviso I've got here is, which goes against logic, but it's something... I think it's logic, but a lot of I've touched about this on previous shows. Shishkin now has a Clarence House win on soft. He won his Supreme on soft to heavy. He pulverized the Tingle Creek, Creek winner at Camp to Bay Lakes on soft. And yet all you keep hearing from Sam Barrows is all oh, on better ground, a good ground. He's a lovely mover. I think it's a massive red herring. I do repeat it. And I do just wonder if we, you know, at the moment here, it's not rain for a fortnight in Cheltenham. If this, um, kind of Gloucestershire Riviera continues for a bit longer. And we, we got a proper spring-like ground. I mean, ground where they've had to throw some water on it to take the sting out of it, as opposed mm. to it raining for a week before. I just wonder, for Nurgamine went a stride faster and he just got Shishkin on the back foot and he suddenly had seven or eight lengths to, to make up, would that just put a bit too much emphasis on the speed side of things rather than stamina? So almost again, going against the grain, I actually think a, a, a kind of good, good to soft ground champion chase might actually play against Shishkin. It's just a personal conjecture. and uh, But there we go. Look, on balance, Shishkin is the most likely winner in the champion chase. And I think Cheltenham will play to his strengths. I'd just be worried if they did go, you know, he was on the back foot of a few of those fences. And you listen to Nico de Boinville saying they were really trapping and turning into mm. the home straight. He thought he was cooked. And uh, it was only the horse's stamina which kind of pulled it out of the fire. And that would just be on the old course at Cheltenham, two miles could he come slightly unstuck? But um, yeah, just hopefully they both make it to the rematch because um, I, I just cannot wait. Yeah, nor can I. And, and as I say, I spoke to Barry in depth about this and you can hear his thoughts in five or ten minutes. That's 888 Sport Ambassador Barry Geraghty sharing his thoughts on last weekend's racing and the weekend ahead of us. Saturday's racing at Cheltenham, uh, the Cheltenham Trials Day is what we're going to be covering here. We have eight races on the card and we're going to start with the first and go through uh, through the whole day, the 12:15, the first race of the day, through to the the 4:15, the last. Before we do so, just gonna, as ever, point the listener and viewer in the direction of the Odds Checker app. Do download it now. We'll be talking in terms of the best prices on the app today, and also the best bookie offers, free bets, place terms, and everything else, including Andy's tips, straight to the app every morning of racing. So do download the app now if you haven't already. I've only been telling you to do so for the last three years. So get on it. Uh, the 12.15, the first race, we're going to cover the handicap hurdle over uh, just over two miles. Ed, no prices here at the moment because we're recording this just just before one o'clock on Thursday. And I don't know the prices here until Friday evening, but we normally would we'd skim past these because, of course, with odds checker, we're all about the value, hard to value at SP. But you've got a horse that you want to flag up uh, at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. It's just one for the notebook. No, it was kind of uh, uncircled it um, at the entry stage, and, um, and and now he's he's declared, shall we say? So yeah, as you say, no prices at the time recording. But uh, my friend from last week's show, Ben Pauling, I, I I spoke in depth about how a lot of his horses are kind of. Uh, gone off the ball in the kind of depth of the winter, but now we're just starting to come back to hand. And he looks to have quite a few well handicapped sorts on the, mm. you know, up his sleeve. And Severance, uh, horse number nine on your card here. Uh, Keelan Woods will take the ride. Uh, this is a horse they've just clearly been running over the wrong trip. Uh, he ran at Weatherby last time out, absolutely pulled the jockey's arms out over two miles five on soft on that occasion. If you go back to the November meeting at Cheltenham, was over two miles five. Uh, Luca Morgan could not keep a lid on him uh, going to post in the early stages. He's just clearly not getting home over stiff tracks, tests of stamina. He comes back in distance here today, just as the Ben Paulding team are starting to hit form. You know, I mentioned a few of their, their horses ran well into places at big prices last week. He, mm-hmm. He's fired in three winners in the last week as well. They're just starting to click, I think it's fair to say. And Severance, down in trip, I think that's the key here. They'll go a lot quicker over this over this distance, you know, this extended two miles uh, compared to what he's been traipsing around in these soft ground kind of malarkeys last time out, etc. And he's <laughs> He's been eased down to a mark of one two two as well. So yard in form. Um, down in the weights, down to two miles. Ground should be fine. Uh, again, I, I think he could be a bit of a, a sneaky one in here because, yeah, he's, his overall profile, what he's done last couple of runs, doesn't jump off the page. But if you look back to some of his form over two miles last year, it was pretty good. And, you know, he wasn't beaten all that far when third behind, third time lucky as well. Uh, we obviously know that form has gone on to be pretty good. So off one, two, two, he's definitely one. Um, 
I, I mean, I've tried to price this race up. I was there is a chance you could probably get double figures about him here, uh, and if you do, mm. I'm, I'm I'm definitely getting involved. I, I took the mickey a bit last week, Ed, when you were just tipping up Ben Pauling horses at big prices, and then they both ran absolute crackers. So I've learned my lesson, and I'm not, and I'm, and I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> well, yeah, this week's a new week, isn't it? Yeah, but I know. <laughs> exactly. Now I've got a feeling um, they should go well. Andy, anything for you in that race, or should we move on to the the second where we've got some prices to go off? I'll just put a little bit of flesh on on the bones of uh, Severance for, for Ed's benefit, really, and, and mm-hmm. for the for the viewers. Uh, wanted to know about his time figures and what what uh, Ed was saying, and that that is very much backed up with his profile that we've got. His two fastest ever time figures were over two miles. F- funny enough, his his victory at Carlisle last year was better than his his run at uh, Kempton, albeit they were both very good. We if he runs to the level he did first time at Carlisle, he can nearly win this. He's got similar time figures to the likes of uh, Lively Citizen and Masters Legacy. His last two runs, he dropped. There's been a massive drop-up in form, courtesy of him running over the wrong trip and pulling too hard. So, yeah, I think uh, Ed's onto something there with that one. The seal of approval from Andy Worth. It's weight in gold there. Severance, the one in the first at Cheltenham to hopefully get us off to a flyer. We're on to the 12.45 now, the JCB Triumph Trial Juvenile Hurdle, the Grade 2. And Pied Piper is the 13 to 8 favourite ahead of ICO at 2 to 1. In turn, De Sivilla, 9 to 2 for Ever William, 8 to 1. 11 to 1 bar. Dead eight runners here, Andy. Uh, I'll come to you first. Pied Piper, bit of a spoiler for what's coming next. A horse that Barry is excited to see on Saturday and heads up the market. I think this is genuinely the first time that we've got a proper trial. Um, you know, we've had a few sparring matches. A few half decent performances here, there, and everywhere in the, in the juvenile category, but I think we've now got some real genuine interest with regard to uh, uh, you know the triumph hurdle in another couple of months' time. We've also got the spring mm. juvenile hurdle as well um, at the Dublin Racing Festival. I think that's going to tell us even more about the likes of Vuban, um, Phil Dor, Ben Sigal, Icar Prince. And and we've got ICO against Pied Piper here. I, I'd bill this as, as the big matchup between the two, the Anglo-English-Irish uh, uh, clash. ICO represents a really good form line at Kempton. The day when he won at Boxing Day, we got this horse clocking the fastest juvenile time either side of the Irish Sea up to now. And I was very impressed with the way he did it. He, he chased a very hot pace. One of um, Tom Simmons's went off um, like the taxman was chasing it. And, and mm. Ronnie Frost decided to chasing for the first half mile but then she took a pull she sat in behind but even so that you know they were still going a fair lick down the back and there was a point on the home turn you're thinking can this horse possibly keep up the gallop well he answered it in the affirmative because not only did he keep it up he actually pulled even further clear of the horses that were closing in behind him having had an easier run through so he's obviously got a really good combination of speed and stamina he was eased down at the finish he could have run even faster we just don't really know how good he can be um, yeah I mean, I've had a few quid on for the try just because he's done the good number already, the best time so far. I think he's overpriced currently in that market. Uh, but he does face Pied Piper, who was a good uh, horse on the flat for John Gosden. I think the Queen actually owned him, um, yeah. rather surprisingly let him go. First time out, he was good at Punchestown. I don't think he would have beaten Vulban. His main market rival had that horse jumped the last a little bit cleanly, cleaner. But either way, the pair of them pulled well clear. Um, they're both highly regarded. And, you know, Gordon Elliott, I think he's using this not necessarily as a, a foot soldier for field door to get a feel of how the English are uh, in comparison to his star horse. Uh, I, I genuinely think he's bringing him over thinking he can win this race. Um, I think the market will probably react to, accordingly. But of what they've done up to now, ECO is definitely the quicker of the two. If he gets a good pace to shoot, and I, I presume he will, because in turn, De Sivalo was in there and made all the running at Cheltenham last time. And, of course, Moulin Climart is in there. He made all at Sandown. So, It'll give um, Harry Cobden the opportunity to sit in behind the pace uh, and um, you know get a good toe down to the, to the second last and then see what he can do from there. And I think it's also interesting as well, one final point, they could have taken the easy option and gone back to the Adonis, track mm. officer that he won over first time out. That would have been easy meat for him, easy pickings. But they obviously want to come out, come and find out straight away whether he's a triumph hurdle horse and uh, run him over the same course and distance as the, the big one itself in March. So... Yeah, I'm a big SEO fan, um, so soon find out whether I'm right or wrong on Saturday. 
<laughs> you mentioned Isio there for the triumph, 14 to 1 best price. As short as 15 to 2 elsewhere. So that 14 to 1 may be worth snaffling uh, before Saturday 2nd if Andy's thoughts are to come to fruition. Ed? Yeah, interesting with Isio, isn't it? Really uh, made you sit up and take note of that performance. Interesting listening to mm. Paul Nichols' um, comments and probably uh, echo what Andy was saying. He said, look, we could go back to Kempton, but Kempton's not Cheltenham. Uh, what he was saying, you know, right-handed speed test, totally chalk and cheese to what he's going to get here uh, over this trip and track. So, testing the water. Uh, yeah, Pied Piper is interesting. The one thing I would say is, you know, you could kind of see out my window here. It's 12, 13 degrees. There's blue skies. I'm half a mile from the race course. It hasn't rained here for 10 days. The have got a bit of, bit, of, bit of sunburn on that I'm side absolutely, of your Absolutely, face, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I know, absolutely. I'm in yeah, a world, yeah, world of trouble here. But the uh, point being... This ground at the time recording is officially good. It's going to be two more days of clear skies. Pie Piper, both his wins on the flat with the Gosford team came on absolutely bottomless ground. Uh, both wins came on heavy. And then the ground was, uh, according to all the jockeys, was riding extremely deep at Punchestown last time out when he won. Just makes me a little bit nervous. A horse with three career wins all on bottomless ground. This is going to be a totally different ball game. And as Andy referenced to, they're not going to hang around here. There's a lot of pace on. And of course, the horse does have the, he's used to it from the flat. But that would just be a, get me slightly nervous about him. This is probably going to be the quickest ground conditions he's encountered. And I do just wonder whether Intern De Civilers being slightly kind of snobbly look, overlooked here, um, given the fact, you know, perhaps it's Nick Williams, Chester Williams kind of combination. I watched the race back again last night and I think he's got a fair old engine, this horse. I thought he did it really good style. We've got all the kind of, as I call it, the, the passive aggressive comments come out after where he was, oh, he was given a good ride that day. He was given it all that kind of zin, as in, yeah, well, that was his one-off occasion and uh, there'll be other days where he gets swamped. I'm not so sure. And when you look at the form of that win as well, it's actually got some substance to it. The horse he beat, Gary Moore's Yorksey, has since gone down to Fontwell and won 20 lengths hard held. And the horse backing third behind him and Milton Harris's went up to Doncaster and won. So there's a little bit of robustness to the form, if you see what I'm saying. And he, he did it in very good style. Uh, he really did. He, he, you'd see the comparisons with old Rev de Civil are coming back already. You know, that lovable horse from the from the yard going back a dec decade or so ago. But... um. I, I'm a bit of in turn to similar at the prices here. I think I saw a bit of five to one flying around uh, uh, a couple of days ago. I, I think a pipe pipe I'm worried about on the ground. Isio, I totally take at this point, could be a class apart here. Um, but this is, you know, he doesn't have to chant the form in the book. In, in turn to similar has been there and done it. So uh, in turn to similar for me at the prices. In terms of similar, nine to two best price as it stands, but only a couple of firms out at the moment after Dex. So that could, could be a bit of fives a bit later on there. The one for Ed. Ed, we'll stick with you now for the, the third race of the day, the 120, the handicap chase, where Solo is the 9-2 favourite ahead of Imperial Alcazar and Java Point, both 5-1. to one. When you're ready and go go a lil, 11-2 each, Oscar Elite 6-1. to one. Uh, Your darling 6-1, to one, Beatstown 13-2. to two. It's probably one of the trappiest mm. eight-runner races I think I've ever seen in terms of prices. Uh, how do you see it going? Tricky one, isn't it? This is a bit of a who's who of my kind of cliff horses in here, it has to be said. Uh, one of them being Oscar Elite, who off 137, He's starting. He's just got to be a wild handicapped horse over fences. I mean, he chased O'Mahoy Senior and uh, Brave Man's game, didn't he? Aintree. He was played runner up in the Albert Bartley. I mean, all his novice hurdle form is top class. Things haven't quite clicked. And what was worrying last time I had Cheltenham, uh, uh, I believe the vets report he burst blood vessels afterwards. So always just gets me a bit nervous. Some of those horses that uh, you know they start to show those signs of wear and tear. And yeah, again, this is the uh, the, the Ben Pauling show we're coming back to. But of those of you with grey hairs, will remind yourself to my. Um, our horses to follow show we did back in October or there or thereabouts. So your darling was put up um, in those five and uh, he subsequently actually bolted up at Huntington on his chase debut. Hasn't quite hit those heights since, uh, it has to be said, on softer ground, up in class and up in the weights. However, uh, it was a pretty hot race he ran in at Kempton over Christmas when finishing third. Uh, Danny Kerwin was behind him that day. That horse has since come out come out and absolutely bolted up by half the track at Wing Canton. Uh, I just love the way your darling old good grandman Huntington really seemed to ping his obstacles. He seemed to be loving that better surface. We touched upon it. This is going to be pretty lively ground at Cheltenham at the weekend. Uh, absolute world away from that, uh, the amount of rains we had at Kempton over mm -hmm. the King George meeting. So I just think off 126, he's still open to improvement. Uh, I, I think he's still unexposed. I actually think 
three miles sooner rather than later will be his trip. But I think a stiff two and a half would be fine for him. And again, I think on paper, this is a tad easier than the race he, he took part in over Christmas period. So I think ground could be key to him. Touch upon, upon the Ben Pauling team coming back into better form. And uh, he's another one from that yard. I think could be on a good mark off one, two, six. Sticking with the Ben Pauling theme. Absolutely love it there for Ed's Andy. I think I would have probably had my nap of the weekend, Ed, tipping your darling in that one, Svenny. So I got my first bet up anyway. Um, but uh, um, I'm, I'm also I'm also going to follow follow the great man in here with with, with your darling. Um, not because I'm I'm um, of a Ben Pauling um, fan club persuasion, but um, genuinely because he's got some seriously good figures next to his name. Uh, courtesy of that run at Kempton, which Ed's already alluded to, um, I, I did make a special note of Danny Kerwin running the other day because he was the first horse to come out of that Kempton race on Boxer Day. Now, that that race, I've done quite a bit of work on those three chase races uh, over uh, the Christmas period. I think it was Boxing Day, wasn't it? And and the comparisons are, are, are quite startling. If you put the three races up together, the um, the Novice Chase won by Brave Man's Game, uh, the King George Tornado Fly, and then you put the Novice Chase up, horses rated in the 130s, and that race there was by far and away the best on, on the final circuit by, by around about 20, 25 lengths, which is quite incredible, really, when you think about it. Um, so they were finishing very strongly in, that, in the back end of the race. They were in a right proper gallop. And it was no great surprise that I think your darling faded after the mm. chasing the pace over the last. He was the one that went with the speed. The other two came through off the pace. Uh, Giacomar and um, I forget the horse what finished second. Was it Mr. Coffee, Master Coffee? Yeah. Also, yeah. Uh, yeah. He hasn't run since. Um We'll get on to Giacomo sooner or later because I think he runs in the next race with a chance. But um, Ben um, Ed reckons that Ben's horse would probably want a little bit further in time. I actually think he's he's probably got a little bit more too much speed for him to be a three mile. I actually think he's probably better almost dropping down rather than going up. But two and a half miles is fine. But the key to him is good ground. I mean, Ed's already pointed out he has to have good ground if he gets winter ground, sloppy ground, hot ground that is made to. Um, make him work harder than he wants to. I think that's the key uh, to him not running well, as he we proved at Aintree the time before. But on genuine good ground, as you put it at Huntingdon, to a degree at Kempton, he's um, he's a pretty good horse, and and the time figures very much point in his direction. So, yep, I'm um, I'm all over him as well. Particularly at the prices with the dead eight runner race. Let's just have all eight runners go to pro- go to post. Yeah, exactly. Uh, your darling is six to one best price as it stands. Uh, a, a one there for both Andy. And for Ed's and for the Ben Pauling fan club, um, Ed, we're not going to do the um, 2.45 at Donny, which is um, Ben's only other um, one on, on the day. But I think we'll, 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 we'll just glide past that one rather than trying to, trying, trying to do a preview. But yeah, not at present the one for the, the Ben Pauling Saturday Trixie. Uh, although I think he does have an entry in the 3.40, so we might have another Ben, uh, ben option. Uh, on then to the, the 1.55, uh, where we've got, the uh the handicap chase with magic saint at seven to two fairnet nine to two galahad quest five to one what more seven to one cool cody 15 to two eden de who 10 to one jack amar is mentioned there by andy 12 to one torn and fray 12 to one uh 14 to one spirit of the games uh 16 to one bar and andy as you mentioned jack amar there and you, you seem to suggest he might be the way you're looking to play this one i uh, will start with you yeah I, I mean it's very rare that you get Ricks, but then you get glaring Ricks, um, <laughs> seismic Ricks, and, and this one, is def- <laughs> this one is definitely falls into that category. I, I literally just spat my drink out when I saw the price um, on Jackamar. I mean, he's tw- twelve to one. Goodness me! I mean, bookmakers need a check up from the neck up there with that. I, I just cannot cannot get my head around how that that horse is that price based on because I based on the numbers that we got this horse doing last time at Kempton, he should be nearly favourite here. Um, Milton's always held this horse in very high regard. I think it's only now he's that sort of belief is coming to fruition. Um, the, the faster they go, the better. I mean, can't I can't imagine that there'd be anything other than a strong pace. There always is in these races, but because you've got Cool Cody in there, as, as he often does, goes off in, off in front, um, for, forcing it long. You've got plenty of others there that like to be up with the speed. That the William uh, um, Venetia Williams horse and, and Galahad Quest as well. So. Um, It'll really suit Giacomo. It's the perfect setup for him, really. I don't really normally like backing horses that have held up on the on that 
on the on the nude course at uh, Cheltenham. Mm. I always think that you know you want to be up with the speed on the front runners, but they do come from the bit back as, as the uh, the mayor of um, um, Nodges Twiston Davises did to win that big handicap chase at the previous meet. Vienna, Vienna, Vienna Court, Vienna Court, yeah, yeah. yeah. They mm. can it can collapse if they get the pace wrong up front. Um, so yeah, either way you strip it down. I mean, Jack and just he, he can't be a twelve to one shot. Well, he isn't a twelve to one shot. I think he'd be about a five. <laughs> I think it'd be more five, six to one on Saturday. 12 to one at the moment, pretty much across the board as well. So we shouldn't need to shop around too much to get it. Jackamar, the one to follow up that Boxing Day success at Kempton with a win here at Cheltenham. Ed? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm taking a strong view of that Kempton race. Obviously, your darling, Daddy Kerwin. And, uh, the only thing I would say about Jackamar, which is is a lot of his form is on flat tracks. You know, the Kempton's, the Wincanton's entry, I think his last three wins have come out. Um, when he ran at Chepstow, he, he ran deplorably. That's the only question mark I got about him. Other than that, totally agree with Andy. Yeah, um, gobsmacked his double figures, to be honest with you. He's only, I think he's going to go at three pounds for that win last time out. I think that was a hot mm. race. Uh, he's definitely overpriced. So yeah, we're we're singing for the same hymn sheet here. Huh. How can it. how can he be three times the price as Magic Saint? I, I, no, I, I know. Yeah, I just don't I, get that. I, I just think he's, telling yeah. telling us that he's got he's yeah. You know, say Magic Saint's improving all that well handicapped. So I I don't see it myself. Mm. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. Just again at the prices. Uh, when I looked at this one, I, I had Jack Amar at half the price of what he what he's uh, yeah twelve to one. Uh, win, lose or draw just looks the wrong price, in my opinion. Looks the wrong price. Again, hard to disagree, really, with the guys agreeing with each other. 12 to 1, as I say, Jackamar, but it sounds like that double-figure price could be a thing of the past fairly swiftly. So get on it as soon as you can. Uh, before we get into the Cotswold chase, now is the time where we are going to go back and have a listen to my chat with Barry Garrity yesterday. Worth remembering this was recorded uh, on Wednesday, so before final deck. So apologies if any of it is a little bit dated. Um, but great to speak to 888 Sport Ambassador Barry Garrity about last weekend's racing and his fancies at Cheltenham on Saturday. Yeah, Barry, it's been a, a while since we last got to speak. So before we get into the racing that's been and the racing that's coming up this weekend, most importantly, how have you been? How's your 2022 started? Good, yeah, no, it's been good. Um, quiet, we're, we're just getting out of out of lockdown over here, so restrictions have been lifted, so I haven't availed of that massively yet, but uh, <laughs> I will um, shortly, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And so long as you can get over here, what is it, six weeks, I think, and five days, pretty much, until the festival starts, the countdown camp again. And I'm pretty exciting. And, and the horses we're going to talk about in the main are some of the protagonists for the Cheltenham Festival coming up in March. And we have to start with, I think, one of the best races I've ever seen, if I'm honest. Um, the Clarence House last week saw, last weekend, saw Shishkin take on an argument, the, the titanic tussle between the two favourites for the champion chase. And it didn't disappoint, did it? I mean, what did you make of, of the way that Shishkin won, the, the manner of the race? Uh, what did you take out of it? Well, it was a brilliant race. And, it, and it's rare that these matchups, you know, work out to the billing. And this, this one really did. It was a brilliant race. Really strong gallop, even pace all the way. Shishkin made that nod at the sixth fence, um, but I wouldn't look into that. He, there wasn't a mistake. He didn't hit the fence. He just nodded on land and probably lost a little bit of momentum. Just one of those things, downhill fence. He was very good in the main. He did jump a little bit left. Um, and Orgamil was quicker at the last um, and just got away from Shishkin, but he finished really well. I thought Nico, by taking away course, I've come up there more times than than, than not on in Ascot. You've, you've, you've the same ground for every chase race ran in Ascot. You don't have fresh ground. So that was the 16th chase, I think, ran. Every race would have come up that inside track um, twice at least. So I thought that was that was definitely a help to Shishkin's finish. Mm. Um, where an argument you could say was feeling the pinch probably halfway from the last of the line. So it was a brilliant run by an Argamine, um, but Shishkin is the hardest to take out of it. And he does jump better going left-handed. He just, he he shifts marginally left just to adjust his stride. Um, and I think he's more comfortable doing it when he's going left-handed. Whereas in Ascot, as I say, at the last fence, he wasn't as quick. Had he been going the other way, I think he'd been better at the last. Um, so he is, it's, it's, it's hard to oppose him. Um, but I think the prices for the champion chase, I think there's too big a difference between the two horses. There is only one good jump or one bad jump in it. Um, I think both horses turned up in the Clarence house. 
in tip-top shape. And if they if they line up in Cheltenham in the same shape, Shishkin is the better horse, but the margins are small. So it, I don't think the price is, is, is reflective of, of their ability. Yeah, it was interesting because the, the price is all the way up to the basically until they jumped all the market support was for Energamine, Shishkin going off around about four to five, Energamine uh, just odds against. And, you know, the margin of victory is pretty small. If you're looking at the the in-running prices, I think Energamine went about seven on. Uh, Shishkin touched eight to one um, when he first came off the bridle up at the top. But now four to six, Shishkin is best price for the champion chase. Energamine three to one. I mean, was there a moment, I've seen some... I think some Shishkin fans saying they were never worried um, <laughs> at all as, as they watched. They always felt that Shishkin would find more and, and be able to go past. Did, did you echo that or were there times during the race where you agreed that Energamine looked the likely winner? Yeah, I thought maybe jumping three out, maybe or, or four out for a second when Shishkin hit his flaps, but which he expected and Energamine was travelling strongly. But I could tell from Paul Townend's body language as he straightened up facing two out, he didn't have a massive amount in hand. He was going to stay going, but he didn't have another kick. Um, Shishkin had, had come through his flat spot, um, had come back on the bridle, albeit Nico was squeezing and turning in, he was only squeezing him. So um, it was very much, it was, it was in the balance. It could go either way. It was down to the jumping really. And when you're going as hard as they are going, that's when, you know, jumping is really tested. And as I say, Shishkin was was got in close to the the last, and just lost a little bit of momentum. So it was a, I think he did extra well to get back up. But the better ground out wide is definitely a big player there. But it's it's just it's hard to oppose Shishkin on the performance. As I said, but but the prices aren't reflective. There isn't that big of a difference between them. I don't think. Is there anything about Cheltenham itself that could play into Anagamin's hands, or as you mentioned, because um, do you think it'll be Shishkin, you know, the proven uh, champion chaser? There, who'll probably step forward further come the festival? Yeah, as I say, I think if both horses turn up in top form, which they need to do, mm. um, I think Shishkin comes out on top, and it's 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 more confirmed going left-handed for me. Um, yeah. If by chance it Cheltenham managed to get very very soft, um, and Argamine has been impressive on heavy ground, those conditions might be the only thing for me on a level pitch where an Argamine could could get back on top. Tony Bloom doing a rain dance as he listens to this, I'm sure. Uh, let's talk, before we look at the weekend's racing ahead of us, let's also have a look at a race we've spoken about a lot on this show. Let's talk about the first race of the festival, the Supreme Novice Hurdle, uh, because those who've been listening to this for a while may have um, may have a few quid on the now favourite Constitution Hill at 2-1, to one, who a horse you know very well indeed, who you mentioned on this show before his first run was something a little bit special. Uh, since then, though, we have seen a bit of a change in the market behind Constitution Hill. Dysart Dynamo, now the seven to two second favourite. John Bond, whose performance last weekend ahead of Mai Tai. In a normal year, we'll probably see you well clear at the top of the supreme betting. But because of the impressive nature of Constitution Hill's couple of wins, because of what we saw Dysart Dynamo do uh, back on the 16th of January at Punchestown, winning by 19 lengths, this feels like a stellar renewal. What did you make of John Bond's performance? And what did you make of Dysart Dynamo? Uh, over at Punchstown. Yeah, um, John Bond, he obviously got it done. The positives you could take out of it are that he, he did settle better. They didn't go very quick. He was a little bit in Aiden's hands, a small bit keen, but he didn't pull his way to the front. So that's a positive. So he doesn't have to make the running in the Supreme um, and there'll be more pace on. So he should relax even better. Um, he did keep going and he did his best work from the last of the line. So it was workmanlike. You couldn't say it was impressive. Um, but... They, they, those are the two positives I would take out of it. He is a very good horse, um, and he's proven that he has some good form, um, but it just wouldn't excite you the same way as Dysart Dynamo, who was explosive in Punchestown. That was a massive performance, and he beat uh, Gringo de, de, de Aubrey, he beat him 19 lengths. He was 10 lengths behind stage star, but um, Dysart Dynamo, he won pulling up. That was a to me that was a huge performance um, and then you talk about the Mullins camp and you have to bring in Sir Gerhard hasn't been ruled in or ruled out yet he has yeah. the option well they all have the option of the Ballymore but he's the one that people think might go for the Ballymore um, but he's a very good horse he was impressive too at Christmas and I'm sure we'll see him again before Cheltenham but he's he has the course form which is probably the most important thing Looking at that market, so putting John Bond to the side a little bit there, as you mentioned, not quite as impressive as you saw Constitution Hill in beating Mai Tai. Do you, do you think there's 
less between the two constitutional and Dysart Dynamo than the two to one seven to two suggests? It's very hard to say. Both horses have annihilated what they've come up against. Um, so it is hard to say, but they've been equally impressive. So maybe there's maybe there shouldn't be as big a gap between them in the market, but you're nowhere near having any idea where the ceiling is for these horses. Mm. Um, so it's it's a it's a little bit of a shot in the dark, but I definitely have a known Constitution Hill and know his capabilities at home. I wouldn't swap him, but I was very, very impressed by they set Dynamo. Let's look ahead to this weekend's racing and we'll start with the Cotswold chase where Chantry House is the even money favourite ahead of I Wright at 7-2 or hoisting your 4-1, to one, simply the bets at 9-2. to two. Uh, Chantry House looking to bounce back from a disappointing performance on Boxing Day, well supported of course on Boxing Day, but what do we reckon went wrong? Do we, do we think Chantry House can put that right and what do we need to see here for his festival prospects? Yeah, the interesting thing with Chantry House for me, and I rode the horse um, and I do like him, he is mm. 8 from 11, which is, it takes a good horse to run yeah. up a, a, you know, that kind of sequence. So 8 from 11, he's been beaten three times, he was third in the Supreme, so there was no uh, there was no disappointment there, he ran a cracker. He was disappointing behind Fusil Raff as, as a novice, where he just didn't turn up, he laboured on the day and he was... He would finish third. He's better than that. And obviously he was he ran a completely lackluster race to King George. So you have to draw a line to that. After his disappointing run last season behind Fusil Raffles, he won his next three and two of those were grade ones. Um he does need to bounce back, but he is by far the best horse in the race. Um a high senior I felt ran below par at Kenton, and I hope that they don't take up this this race and I'll probably be proved mm. wrong maybe but I think it's I think it's maybe taken on a little bit too much it's strong company I'd rather go for the novice chase and Weatherby that was mentioned um, so it'd be interesting to see how he fares out I just I'd have my reservations about him and um, I, I surely who won the won the rehearsal chase and he was impressive loves soft ground this is going to be a bit better and it's a step up in class I thought simply simply the bets showed a big improvement in form from his two previous starts to being second in Cheltenham over 2-4. Um, on ratings, he's getting a few pound, and on ratings, he comes out well. So he's a horse who's possibly going forward um, and could be a danger. But I'd like to think if, if Chantry House turns up anywhere near his best, he should be very hard to beat. Look then at the the Cleave hurdle, uh, which should give us a pretty good indicator as to the stayers in a couple of months. And, you know, you mentioned there the ridden Chantry House. Well, you've certainly ridden Champ a few times and Champ is the two on favourite uh, to win this one uh, to back up his unbelievable performance a few weeks ago. Uh, Paisley Park is three to one. Um, McFabulous five to one. Lisnagar Oscar six to one with Don Levant and Cool Cody 33s with Dandy Mag. Uh, John Joe Neil Jr. retains the ride here um, after a couple of rides from Nico where, you know, circumstances dictating maybe that Nico didn't quite get a tune out of Champ but what do you think of uh, Champ's opportunity here to really prove himself as the one to beat in the stairs? Yeah well he should win this but I don't think this is the the biggest test he'll have. Paisley Park has been running well but just lacks the bit of pace and you know with age he's got slower obviously not faster so um, the drying ground and there doesn't look to be a massive amount of pace in the race so I think those things are going to work against Paisley Park and are going to you know add to strength add to champ strengths because he was impressive in Ascot off a slowish run race so he will have improved from that run and um, he should be very hard to beat Um reports are good and everything on him so um he should be hard to beat, as I say. McFabulous is four from ten, I think it is. He's been second three times, but he has a tendency of of struggling in, in top company. So I think McFabulous at this stage, even the handicapper dropping two pound on his last run behind Stormy Ireland. So I think McFabulous is a horse who probably just struggles at the top level. Um, so no, it should be all for champ, really. And then finally, uh, a quick look at one other race this weekend. Um, you want to look at the juvenile hurdle? Yeah, I think this is a very good race, and um, I think the best of the English and potentially a very good Irish juvenile. So ICO, who was impressive in Kempton, Paul Nichols' runner, um, has to be respected, one with a big shout. Um, then we have Intense de, de Savola, Nick Williams, who was mm. impressive in Cheltenham last time, having improved on its previous run. Gary Moore's runner, uh, Moulin Claremont, really impressive in Sandland as well, on heavy ground. But Pied Piper beat a horse of uh, Vaboom, I think it's called, of Willie Mullins, who was well backed in Punchestown 
Um, but Pipe Piper cost 225,000 off the flat, rated 93. I thought he jumped reasonably well. He ran a little bit keen. I think he's going to be more settled with the run under his belt. I think his hurdling will be better. I think he could be a very smart horse. And I see Davy Russell is jocked up on him, so we're, we're presuming he runs. Um, and it's possibly a way for the stable to split up Pied Piper and Fedor, who's owned mm. by the same owner, and obviously trained by Gordon Elliott as well, who is the head of the market for the, the Triumph Hurdle. So um, I think this could be a very smart horse, and I think he's taking on the best of the English. So it's, it's going to be informative, but I, I'd be, I like Pied Piper. Pied Piper leading a merry dance in the second race at Cheltenham, the juvenile hurdle on Saturday. Thank you very much to 888 Sport Ambassador Barry Geraghty for taking the time to talk to us today and sharing his thoughts on racing this weekend and what we've seen already this year. Look forward to speaking to you again next week. Cheers, George. Thank you. Yeah, great as ever to speak to the great man, Barry. Looking forward to catching up with him next week again. Uh, But let's get into the Cotswold chase, the grade two. Uh, over just over uh, three miles, three miles and a furlong. And we've got Chantry House is the 10 to 11 favourite ahead of Simply the Bets, 7 to 2. I write 4 to 1, Santini 10 to 1 and Corto Rico 66 to 1. Uh, sadly, yeah, this race has cut up a fair bit since Barry's thoughts, but you know, certainly what he said in terms of Chantry House's chances here is still prevalent and Simply the Bets as well. Chantry House, Andy, uh, with a, a fairly disappointing run or, on Boxing Day, but still odds on here. Do we expect him to be able to bounce back from that? Yeah, he's, it was such a, a lifeless display, wasn't it, for him? I mean, mm. He was very well fancied. He actually won a favourite in the end, which was a little bit of a surprise. I, I thought he'd run really well. I thought, I thought he was a, a fair each-way bet. I think I put him up when we did this, around about 5-6-1 to one or something like that, thinking he's likely to run his race, whether he's good enough, I don't know. But at, at, at no stage did Nico de Boinville ever look comfortable on him. I mean, he jumped the first two or three, and he was just sort of showing signs that, you know, the horse wasn't travelling, whether it was the ground, whether it was the strong pace. Obviously, they went off really quick in the King George early. He just completely got taken off his feet. I don't know. But he basically just sulked or spat the dummy out. But, I mean, this is more of his environment. A small field where horses are not quite his level at the moment. Anyway, at least certainly three of them aren't. Um, they, they've proven that um, on genuine good ground. And we know he likes Cheltenham. Um, whether we think he's a genuine out-and-out stayer or not, I don't know. I think he's probably always likely to be at his best at three miles, or dead flat three miles, like a Weatherby or something like that. Maybe the Charlie Hall next year. Um, or distances under, that that seems to be his profile as far as I could see. The, th- the thing is about Chantry House is, is that I think he's almost certain to beat the likes of Corto Rico and Santin and Simply the Betts, because I don't think they're quite up to a race of this level. I think simply bets is not necessarily a three-miler either. So it, it just all depends what they do with Iright. Presumably Iright will go from the front and really test the, the metal of Chantry House. If there is a frailty in his makeup, it might well be a st- stamina-based. And we know that Iright stays incredibly well. I think he's going to be underestimated because he's trained up the north um, by a you know fairly low-level trainer um, with a great suspect to Harriet Graham. But I think she's got a very, very good horse here on, on her hands. A horse that really wants it. Um, you know, he pulled out all the stops in, in the, um, the rehearsal chase at, at Newcastle when he beat Good Boy Bobby. And I actually followed that form line with Good Boy Bobby um, in the role of Merrick at Weatherby next time out. And he went on to, to win quite nicely. But the time figure was exceptionally good. The last circuit was really good as well. They went a real good gallop. It was much quicker than the two-mile handicap chase on the same card. So, like I say, he's got a combination of speed and stamina and the fact that he'll make the run in and really push this lot um, leads me to believe that he's he's overpriced at um, his current price at 7-2. to two. So, yeah, he'd do it for me, the top one here. I write 4-1 to one you're getting, Andy. 4-1 to one best price four it is one, at the moment. Yeah, even better, yeah. Uh, for I write, Ed? Yeah, a bit of a boring uh, mug punter angle for me. But I, just, I think Shadri House will get the job done. I know he won... Strand of thought could be, you know, a horse pulled up last time out. Crikey's odds on here. But I just think, look, this is his backyard. Listening to Nicky Henderson, Nico's comments after Kempton. It was all just happening too quickly. Uh, Kempton, it, it, he just seemed totally startled by it all, to be honest with you. And obviously he'd had that kind of prep running, a two-runner nothingness race, hadn't he, at Sandown, uh, going into the King George. I think it just just caught him all on the back foot and it was all too much here. Smallfield at Cheltenham, we know he loves Cheltenham. Of course, he won the Marsh last season. He was placed in a Supreme. He's won at Cheltenham on another occasion. This is much more his backyard, if you like. There is mm. that still, that question mark about stamina, 
per se, but actually think he's starting to look a bit bit slower, to be honest with you. Uh, I, all in all, I just think this would be right for him. The cheap piece has gone for the first time, just sharp, sharpen up his jumping. Uh, the one thing I did think could be the flying ointment would be simply the bets that on the figures is not far away mm. at all from these. In fact, comes out favourably. Uh, given the, the penalty structure in here. And um, I just wonder if a bit of drying ground shaped last time out as though this kind of trip would suit. If Harry Cobden can get the horse to settle in this small field, I think he's going to be a player. But uh, all in all, expect Chantry House to win and then he'll he'll go on to the the, the Gold Cup with an each-way chance, I'd probably say, uh, as things stand. But yeah, um, the not my usual modus operandi, but I'm with the odds-on favourite. <laughs> with the odds-on favourite here, Chantry House at 10 to 11. Simply the bets, the danger in your view. Andy thinking I right is the one to be on at four to one. Uh, onto the 305 now, the Cleave Hurdle, where uh, Champ heads the market at eight to 15. McFabulous, four to one. Paisley Park, nine to two. Lisbon Garoska, 25 to one. Dandy Mag, 50 to one. You've tipped up an odds on shot there. Uh, are you going to tell us that Champ, Champ's now favoured at, at eight to 15? I'm, I'm going to take him on here. I, I, haven't, I just haven't totally bought the champ revival story yet. No, no, no. I mean, it was one run. Don't get me wrong. He did it very nicely at Ascot. Um, it was a very good style. But uh, I wonder whether the kind of race had a little part, part a bit for him. I mean, Time Hill, don't think he's looked himself this season. You know, he ran deplorably in France. He was very keen in the early stages of this. You've then got Paisley Park, who, you know, he's starting to look his 10 years of age in truth. And champ himself mm. is 10. You know, I can't think he's getting any better. It's just a case of how long can he maintain his decent form. And obviously over hurdles, it's clearly putting less of a stress on his back, which was the issue of where, you know, his jumping went to pieces in the Gold Cup and he went off to Martinstown. He had a full MOT and they've, they've tried to sort his back out. Clearly, over hurdles, he's enjoying it more. I just think he's going to be incredibly short price here. And I just wonder, again, I'm just looking at the kind of younger, fresher legs here. McFabulous could be the value just to serve it up to them. I, I thought here is, you know, he's half brother to waiting patiently. We now have that horse enjoy good ground. I just think he stayed on really strongly like a train over two and a half last time out at Cheltenham, admittedly behind Stormy Island. And that form in itself is not good enough to see McFabulous win this. But I think he he's shaping like he wants every yard of three miles now. I think the sun coming out, good ground could be uh, two big ticks in the right boxes, shall we say. And mm. Paul Nichols after a Quite a couple of weeks with the, the flu jabs amongst a lot of his horses. They all seem to be starting to uh, kind of come to the fore again now. So, yeah, I haven't quite bought the revival yet. And he's going to be incredibly short price. You know, wouldn't shock me if he went off two to five, something like that. And, you know, look fabulous against two ageing 10-year-olds, uh, both with histories of injuries and little setbacks and niggles as you would expect of horses getting towards the twilight of their career so i think but fabulous you know just turned eight uh let's not forget he's had the wind operation recently as well which paul nichols thinks has helped that horse turn a corner he had a he had a little niggle at the start of the season which is why the shelving uh where they shelved the chasing campaign and i still think there's mileage in him over hurdles so uh yeah but fabulous for me he, he's my selection at the prices Ed, is there an each-way angle there, given five run, so you're getting quarter of the two? So basically, if, if if McFabulous ends up chasing Champ home, then then you're getting your money back? Yeah, possibly. Not normally my kind of style. Like, I'll just I'll go in win only, but I could see that angle. I mean, Paisley Park, I, I cannot... Ha- I mean, fair play. Mm. If he wins this, I'll take the half-field <laughs> connections, but he's looking slower and slower. Uh, I mean, he got... It was pretty much good ground, I think. Andy will probably back up on the clock at Newbury when Thomas Darby beat him. The poor boy was taking off his feet there. He didn't know what day it was. And last time out on a bit of soft ground, it rained a lot before Ascot. And they kind of came back to him to some extent, didn't they? And he, his stamina kicked in. I'd be worried about him getting a long way behind uh, here, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think Liz Oscar will do his usual bowler log in front, set a good uh, kind of gallop. I think Champ will, will probably go, you know, keep him in his sights. And uh, I, I just think I see Paisley Park, uh, bless him, coming under the pump three out and just be taken off his feet on what will be genuine good mm. spring ground, if you like, in the last week of January, which it almost seems a bit bizarre. So, McFabulous, they're the one for Ed at four to one, taking on Champ and Paisley Park. Andy? Yeah, I'm, I think this is fairly straightforward from the way I, I, I can see. Um, I've tried to half make cases out for McFabulous and Paisley Park and, and to a smaller degree, Liz and Oscar. Certainly um, pay respect to, to what Ed's saying, but Paisley Park has looked the shadow of a form self for the last 
18 months. I, I don't really like the way he's racing. He looks as like he's had enough, really, for me. Um, Liz Nagarosk again. The ground might be his only saving <clears> grace because I think better ground um, will, will help him. I think it was similar ground that he's likely to encounter, encounter Saturday to what he won, the one when he won the Stayers Hurdle a couple of years ago. And I'm not absolutely totally convinced that Mac Fabulous um, will stay at this trip. All the evidence that he's a genuine Aintree hurdle horse. Um, you know, the two and a half mile race there, when he probably take on the likes of Brewing Up a Storm, no doubt, um, at, um, at Aintree in, in April will probably suit him but, uh, better. Um, and the fact that it is, it, it's hard to kind of like contain a horse like that who's got a lot of natural speed and exuberance over three mile one around this kind of track. So I think that's a. Mm. A, um, a problem that um, Harry Cobden's going to face trying to try to hold on to him. So really, to all intents and purposes, I think Champ's got this um, in in the bag, really. I mean, whether I'll take 8 to 15, it's probably a little bit shorter than I anticipated he might be, but his win in the long walk was, was really impressive. I mean, he got there pulling a train, and then there was a point after he jumped the second last where you thought, oh, time healed bands are outrunning me, you know, that lack of a run is likely to catch up with him, but God almighty, didn't I get his head down yeah. and battle? And he, he just did not want to get beat. So he, the fire is definitely still in his belly. Mm. He's got we know he's always had the ability. I mean, you know, his victory in the RSA a few years ago when he beat um Alaho and um and Manella Indo was was a sight to behold. Um and um you know he's he's proven that the class is still there as well. So it's it's a bit of a cop out tip really tipping an eight to fifteen shot, but I genuinely <laughs> don't think the other four can beat him. So it's no point me trying to um, you know, tip something else for the sake of it just because it's a better price yeah sometimes the answer's right in front of you andy 8 to 15 there uh, for champ to win the cleave hurdle uh, the penultimate race on the card the 340 is the ballymore novice hurdle andy obviously our go-to man for all things novice hurdles and we've got joint favorites at the top of the market balco coastal and hillcrest both seven to four north lodge six to one a different kind six to one Picania at 12 to 1 and Harper's Brook for Ben Pauling 25 to 1 uh, heading up the market. Six run here. Andy, who do you know? They can't split the top two, but experience tells me that you probably can. Well, we can't split the two the top three Ooh. here on, on our time wow. figures. We've we basically got go, go, Balco Cole still running to a 67, which is very good at hunting the last time out. We've got Hillcrest running to a 66 here last time out. Again, another strongly run true run race. And North Lodge. Is the uh, the fly in the ointment? That also ran a, ran to a 66 speed figure when he won on his debut, beating two very highly regarded horses. Bombs away won since, and uh, Richmond Lake, who uh, won again next time out, and of course went on to run really well um, against uh, John Bomb the other day. So mm. I wouldn't underestimate North Lodge. Um, the only problem with North Lodge is trained by Alan King, and Alan King's had one winner in 20 his last 28 runners, and that was an a, a, a four to nine shot on the all weather in the shape of Rainbow Dreamer. So his national hunt horses are struggling for form. Um, that would be the only thing to put me off. So we're basically left with the front two in the market. It's which one you believe really has got the better form lines because they've both done similar numbers. I, I happen to believe that, that Hillcrest is probably the one I'd go with here based on what he's beaten uh, and the manner in which he's beaten them. I think I am Maximus was a seriously you know, huge opponent for him here last time out. He was well-backed. There was good money for Getter Tonic. I actually thought Dan Skelton's mare would cause um, one or two issues to the, to the Geldings that day, but she was readily put in a place. And I love the way that Hillcrest powered up the line. And mm. to my eyes, he seemed to win with his ear pricked, ears pricked in the end. There seemed to be more left to come. The fact that he's also won over the course and distance as well, that has to count for plenty. The fact that he's already been around Cheltenham and Balco Colstall, it hasn't. Um, he's another factor. And I also think Balco Carlson as well, out of the two, he's a bit more of a free-running type. He, he, I wouldn't say he's a, a tear away, but if there is going to be any any energy expended to anyone's detriment that will take its toll in the latter stages, I think it might be Balco Carlson rather than Hillcrest. To my eyes, Hillcrest races very generously, but he races well within himself. He doesn't kind of like give himself a hard time. He does everything very easily. So you can ride him whichever way you want. They can make the run if nothing wants to go on, like the last time out. He can still run fast. He can still track the pace if Balco Colster wants to go on, if anyone, anything else wants to go on. So I think it will give Richard Patrick and Connections plenty of options looking at this race, the way it's going to be run. So I think he's the one that I'll be with. The course and distant form, the numbers in the book, everything he just seems to take into his stride. So um, I'm a big fan of um, Hillcrest. And 
it'll be lovely to see him win for, for Henry Daly and for him to have a genuine uh, contender again for one of the championship races at the festival. Yeah, absolutely. Hillcrest 7-4 to four, pretty much across the board there for this one, uh, Ed. Yeah, I'll take on board a lot of what Andy says. I'm going to go against him, though, with Balco Coastal, purely because I just think this will come down to more of a test of speed compared to last time out. If you remember, it was, the ground was really hard work when he saw if I'm Maximus. I just look at that Hillcrest and he looks like your, your traditional, you know, uh, Trevor Hemming, late Trevor Hemming's horse, doesn't he, really? He looks like he's going to get nine miles stood on his head in time, an old-fashioned staying chaser and... Uh, I thought he just outstayed Iron Maximus uh, just in, in very deep ground. This is going to be much more lively. Balco Coastal, obviously, totally different profile horse with two miles speed and on the sounder surface. I, I take Andy's point. Nico will have to try and keep the lid on him and conserve that burst of foot for the closing stages. But I just think we're going to see totally different kind of dynamics of races here at this meeting compared to what we've been used to. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if it, it was down to those two. But uh, Balco Coastal just had a bit too much zip for him on this ground in the closing stages. That would be the uh, the only thing I'd think about. I mean, it was interesting listening to Henry Daly saying they were umming and ahhing about whether this might be too much of a test of speed. And they go for the three miler at the uh, in the River Don up at Doncaster. And it was going to be a very late call. Well, they've gone this route and that, that would be my only thing. I think it's between those two. Uh, mm. But I, I would go with Balco Coastal just on the ground. Do, do you think he'll stay the trip, Balco Coastal? That's the other thing I've... I don't know. No, it's a straightforward absolute, answer. I, yeah, I have I'm, no idea, but I, I get the feeling he, he will, but to what level, I, I don't know. But I, I just think if he can, if Nico could be there or thereabouts of him as they turn into home straight. As I said, I think this will be the horse that can quicken up more than rather outstay the opposition would be the what I want to go with. And I, I think, you know, you've, you've always got a, a two to two and a half mile of Balka Coastal. You're going to have a you know, uh, a, a Kim Muir horse once upon a time in in, in, in in Hillcrest going further forward for one of a better phrase. So I just think two totally different horses here. Uh, tactics will be interesting in the dynamic of it. But um, yeah, not of any huge conviction, but uh, at the prices, I would go with Balco Coastal just on the basis of the ground's going to be pretty lively. And I think that'll suit his, his more natural speed. Pick your fighter, 7-4 for, for Eds with Balco Coastal, 7-4 uh, Hillcrest with Andy. I, I'll leave it to the listeners and viewers to decide who's made and, the better uh, case. And I haven't tipped a Ben Paul in horse, George. That's probably the, the biggest headline <laughs> from that race, though. So uh, there we go. Yeah, I'm sure you'll be, you'll be, you'll be tipping it in, in a couple of months in a handicap <laughs> uh, when it comes to that. Um, let's move on. I mean, the, the final race of the day is the Mayor's Bumper, and we don't have any prices. Um, and Ed, you're, you're shaking your head. So I, I'm, I'm guessing there's nothing from you there. No, um, I'm sitting this one out. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Andy, anything from your, your speed figures to, to shed some light on this one? Yeah, I mean, th there's a couple. I mean, the, the speed figures are, are just a sort of guide here, really. I mean, you very rarely do you get massively strongly run bumpers, particularly mares races. But th there is a couple that stand out here. The, the main one would be Hidden Beauty um, of um, Burgle O'Brien's. Burgles, yeah. Or, or, ordinarily, you you, you um, you're drawn to a Fergal O'Brien horse, aren't you, in, in bumpers mm. anyway, but particularly ones at Cheltenham. Um, there's obviously a lot of thought gone into this. I would have thought they've, they've probably had this race on their, on their radar for a little while now. They haven't run it since November. And and he knows the time of day with these races. I hate that phrase, but he does because that bot, was it Bontenay? Bontenay? Yeah. That won at the the uh, the other meeting, the, the, the Paddy Power meeting, and the season was a well-hatched plan. Um and I can't believe this horse managed to win from where it did first time out of Foss last. It was last turning in. Even your sort of like um, your, your real Fergal O'Brien aficionados were thinking, God almighty, mm -hmm. what, what's Liam Harrison doing here? But he got it just right because she came through very strongly at the end to win going away. I thought it was a tremendous effort. Um, time figure was very healthy. And she looked a really nice mare as well. I think the danger could well be Milton Harris's horse, um, Mullenberg who won very, very easily at uh, Ludlow. Um, not a total surprise um, to connections, according to the post-race chat, but um, I think they see it as a horse who probably get further down the line, but come there as if it was just joined in, um, over two out and, and wouldn't go in away. So those would be the two that I'd, I'd be wanted to highlight, but the main one would be Fergal's horse, Hidden Beauty. Hidden Beauty, the one to keep an eye on. Ed, before I let you guys go, anything else over Saturday's action you want to you wanna just point to, or, or are we done at Cheltenham? Yeah, done it, Charlton, which is very quickly up at uh, Doncaster in the big handicap there. The um, uh, Skybet chase, I thought Grand Sancy is one. Another Paul Nichols horse has been on my radar. Horses not been firing all cylinders recently, but as a consequence, is 
Handicap marks plummeted. It was 1.52 at peak. Uh, it's dropped to 1.36. Uh, has to go left-handed. Unknown in regards to the trip, but only has 10.7. Bryony Frost on board. And I, I, I thought if you ignore last time at Ascot, where the horse was jumping so left-handed, nearly ended up in the stands. Um, <laughs> back on a... Back on a left-handed track, uh, his penultimate run at Newbury, I think they ran over 2-6 that day. Uh, he kind of made some late gains. It, 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 it offered encouragement that he would get this trip on a flat left-handed track, shall we say. And as I said, he's, he's uh, you know, go back to his form of 18 months ago. He was competing in Graves 1s, Grade 2s, and he was uh, carrying a stone more in theory, if you see what I'm saying. So, yeah, he's 20-1. to one. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he ran into a place at a, at a, at a big price with Bryony Frost on board. Uh, I'm afraid 14 to one, Ed. Your, oh. your millions, of, your millions have moved the market, <laughs> but, but, but it, it, it stands anyway. That is in the uh, the five, sorry, the 320 at Doncaster on Saturday. Thank you very much to both Ed and to Andy for joining us today and sharing their thoughts on a great day's racing at Cheltenham on Saturday. Please do download the Odds Checker app for the very best prices, as we discussed today. Bookie offers free bets, best place terms as well, and Andy's tips straight to your app, amongst others every morning of racing thank you very much to 888 sport for sponsoring this podcast and for their ambassador barry Geraghty for sharing his thoughts we'll be back next week to preview the weekend's racing fingers crossed for a cracker this weekend at ed's local track and please as ever ensure you're gambling responsibly 